So we have opportunity to prepare to worship our God, and in light of our text this morning, we'll be looking at A Call to Arms is the title of the sermon, and from Ephesians 6. So I thought it would be good for us to look at or think about God's call to Joshua um, in chapter 1. He had already been called, and a lot of these words actually Moses uh, records in Deuteronomy uh, in Joshua's call. But let's go ahead and hear, and, and these are words for us as well. So Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then... Um, there is this uh, communication with Joshua, with the officers of the people, concerning preparation to go into the land. And at the very end, in verse 17, as they said to Joshua, Just as we heed Moses in all things, uh, so, all, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. So that's four times uh, Joshua heard those words. Be strong and courageous or of good courage. Uh, so let us prepare to worship the one who is, uh, promises to never leave us or forsake us. And it is being strong in him that we have strength. So let's take a moment of silent meditation and preparation.
Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father, and the call this morning comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let us do so. We'll begin with the doxology, hymn number 570. If you need it, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll be singing Psalm 144a, the first five. Thank you. 
you. You are almighty. You have all authority. You are the sovereign God, ruler, creator, ruler, sustainer, and judge of everything. You spoke all things into existence through the word of your power. You sustain all things. Lord Jesus, it is recorded in your word that you hold all things together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us also and applying the work of Christ to us today. And so we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and more importantly, open our hearts that we may receive, we may see Jesus and we may receive that which you intend for us through your word, by your spirit. We pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us from heaven and that you would grant unto us obedient ears that we would hear in order to do what you call us to. We understand that we are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that war is, doesn't cease. And so here we have a moment of respite as we enter into the heavenlies and the spirit, and we have opportunity to worship you, joining the angels and just men made perfect around your throne. And so we pray that you would be pleased and honored with our worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we are called to confess our sins before the Lord. And we'll do that with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. That reading comes from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark type. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For night and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What was the response of Isaiah when he approached the thrice holy God? We recorded in chapter 6. What was his response when seeing the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple? He said, woe is me. I am undone, discombobulated, because I'm a sinner, because I've sinned. I have unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, because I've seen the Lord of hosts. What we're doing right now is the same thing. Taking a moment and beholding God in his perfect righteousness and holiness. This is his word to us. So it's an opportunity for us to confess our sin. Is there anybody here that hasn't sinned against God? Thank you that nobody raised their hand. Thank you. So let us take that time. Father in heaven, we do come before you. We thank you that we can approach you as Father, not because of anything in ourselves, but simply because of your grace to us. 
you have chosen from eternity to adopt children. And so we thank you, Lord, for that ability. And we do acknowledge that we, as your children, are called to honor our Father who art in heaven. And yet, we haven't honored you today. We haven't honored you this week. Talks about there, uh, David prays, that I will acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity will I not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And so we do that as well. It is, it is essential for us in our relationship with you. Yeah, life and death are here. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you call us to confess our sins, to hate and forsake them because they offend you. They go, they're more than just displeasing to you. They offend you personally. And so we have offended you. We've sinned against you, and we've sinned against one another. And so we do not minimize or dismiss or cover or hide our sins, but we confess them before you. Our sins of omission and commission, sins of breaking your law or not doing your law, doing your revealed will of serving ourselves in our will. Instead of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's my kingdom come, my will be done. And so we do confess that, that we have served self. We, have, we are guilty of will worship, worshiping our own wills in many ways. And so we do confess those to you. And we also confess that we have sinned against one another in thought, word, and deed. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would forgive us as well as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray, O oh Lord, for that forgiveness is accomplished through Jesus Christ once for all on the cross. And we thank you for that promise, for that strengthening of our faith, knowing that we are accepted in the Beloved accepted in Jesus. And so we pray that you would uh, enable us to sing praises to you, to acknowledge your grace. For we are debtors to mercy alone, to covenant mercies we sing, we pray. And so open our, our hearts and our mouths as we praise you for your mercy, grace, and love in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll turn with me in the hymnal to 434, a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercies I sing. Let's stand and do so.
So we have opportunity this morning not only to confess our sin, but to confess our Savior, the triune God. And this morning we will do so by using the Apostles' Creed. It's uh, question number 23 in the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be working out of that today. So if you want to turn there, it's on page 22. You probably don't need to. You probably already have it down. Um, but in case, if you want to be, be safe, uh, question 23, I, I will ask the question. Let us respond with the answer. What are these articles? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And if you will turn to Lord's Day number six, we're working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism this year, and we are in the second part. The first is how great my sin and misery is. The second, how I am redeemed from all my sins and misery. And we are looking at Lord's Day number six, looking at who do we need? What kind of mediator and redeemer must we seek? And so we're going to read question and answer 16 through 19. I'll read the question. Question 16. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for sin, but one who himself, a sinner, cannot satisfy for others. Why must he also be true God? That by the power of his Godhead he might bear in his manhood the burden of God's wrath, and so obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. But who now is that mediator who in one person is true God and also a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is freely given unto us for complete redemption and righteousness. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled by his well-beloved Son." Why must he be? Why the God-man? That's actually the title of a book that Anselm wrote. And what we have here, in a sense, is a summary of that book. Why did our mediator, why did our redeemer, must, must he be a man? Why couldn't it have been an animal? I mean, there were all those sacrifices in the Old Testament. You had sin offering and the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, and on and on and on. Wasn't that sufficient? If the wages of sin is death and the animal dies, and when you, when you offered that sacrifice, you placed your hands on the animal and you confessed your sins, then you took the knife and you slit its throat and the blood was poured out. The animal died in your place. Wasn't that sufficient? The answer is no. Why? Because human, you are a human, not an animal. The wages of sin of a man must be paid for by a man, by a human. As it says, for the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sin should make satisfaction for sin... But one who himself is a sinner is disqualified. So he had to be a perfect, 
righteous, true man and a righteous man. He had to fulfill all God's requirements every moment of his time here on earth, from, from in the womb until his death. Why? Because God had called him to that. His righteousness not only qualified him to be our Savior, but his righteousness is imputed to us if we trust in him alone. So that, as the Catechism will later say, who are you? I am righteous in Christ before God. Not in myself. Our righteousness, what does the Bible say? Is as filthy rags. But what about the righteousness of Christ? Do you need that? Yes. Without it, there's no hope. Yes, your sins are forgiven, and then you go out and sin again. No, it's the righteousness of Christ. He was a righteous man. He, he, he was qualified as a man. He was not a sinner. He did not sin. But also, uh, and, and sometimes I think we, we don't really think about God, how powerful and how righteous and how holy God is and how awful our sin is and how it has to be punished with eternal punishment. With hell for eternity, you will never satisfy divine justice in yourself in hell for eternity, the Bible teaches. That's very unpopular today. That's why many people, I don't believe in God. I don't want to be there, God. I don't want judgment. I can't pay the debt. One sin, right? Eternity separated from life, from God, from all that's good. And so it says, why must he be true God? That by the power of his Godhead, he might bear in his manhood the burden of God's wrath. His infinite, eternal wrath that you and I cannot bear. Only God can bear it. And so God, the Son, endured the wrath of God the Father. What did Jesus say on the cross? What was the worst part of the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From all eternity, the Son and the Father had communion with one another. And at that moment, Jesus became sin. Jesus became you. And he experienced what you deserve. Only God could do so. And being innocent, he did not get angry. The punishment he was experiencing is nothing, whatever you experience in this life is nothing compared to what he experienced. And yet he was innocent. And yet he didn't get bitter, did he? He embraced judgment because of his love. Greater love, there's no man than this, and a man would lay down his life for his friends, and he laid down his life for his enemies. And so he has obtained for us, and he has restored us, notice it says there, to righteousness and life. 
My righteousness is now Christ's righteousness. I receive that by faith alone. And my life is now bound up in his life in Christ. I'm alive from the dead. If you believe in Jesus, the tying in of that is tied with Jesus. And so look at uh, verse eight, uh, question 18. But now who is that mediator who in one person is true God and also true and righteous man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular, that word Jesus. What is his name? Kids? His name is Jesus. And the angel told us why. Anybody? Do you know in Matthew? His, his name shall be called Jesus, for he will... Anybody? Save? Yeah, he will save his people from their sins. So when we say Jesus, we're saying Savior. He's my Savior. But he's also the anointed, the Christ, and he's also the boss, the Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's the anointed of God. He is my everything. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is freely given, there's grace, freely given to us for complete redemption and righteousness. Do you have to do anything if you have complete redemption? Do you have to add to it? Can you? No, it's complete, <laughs> right? How about righteousness? Do you have to maintain righteousness before God in order to be saved? No, it's the righteousness of Christ. Does that mean all I can sin? No, of course not. I hate my sin because it offends my Savior. So where do you know this? Well, from the Bible and from the Holy Gospel, and I love this, which God himself first revealed in paradise. I like to say it this way. Who was the first gospel preacher? It was God. God preached the first gospel to Adam and Eve when they fell. He also was a preacher that preached the gospel to Abraham, Paul says. In Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, Paul says, that was the gospel. Who preached it? God did. God is the first preacher. He first revealed it in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets. So the gospel was proclaimed throughout the Old Testament. Pictures of that were the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled in his well-beloved son. Is that why we study the Old Testament? To see Jesus? And the answer is yes. Jesus is all throughout the Bible, not just in the New Testament. He's there in the Old if you have eyes to see. So we can learn about Jesus by looking at the tabernacle, by looking at the sacrifice, by looking at the high priest, and on and on and on. Those are all pictures of Jesus. Spend your life learning about Jesus, Old and New Testament. And so, who is your Savior? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let us prepare our hearts uh, for the message this morning, a call to arms. And so let us take up our hymnal to hymn number 540, Soldiers of Christ Arise. 540, let's stand and sing. Thank you. 
at a couple verses in Isaiah, in chapters 40 and 41, so if you want to turn to that, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 through 31, and then chapter 41, 8 through 10, and then our text in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. A lot of scripture this morning. Lord, we pray that you bless now the reading of your holy word. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Hear now the word of God. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints, nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then turn the page in chapter 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions, and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right And then turning to our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, become strong in the Lord and in the power or sovereignty of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which 
you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this third section of the the book, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, now we are called to stand, 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 and stand. And so we pray that you would enable us to do so. We know that we are at war and that there are many forces arrayed against us far more powerful, smarter, uh, uh, been fighting for so long. We are novices in this war. And yet greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we pray that you would enable us to hear these words, these commands, and that in hearing them, you also give us the ability to do what you command, as uh, Augustine prayed. So we ask that you would uh, command what you will and give us the ability to do what you command. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, is it... Is, are we living in a time of war? Is there warfare going on in our culture today? If you don't agree with me, I hate you. Is that a good way to describe? You must agree with me or you're my enemy. Is that in our culture today? My way or the highway? Is there wars going on in our world? Do we think of uh, Ukraine? We think of in Palestine or in Gaza. You, there's other places in Africa and, and so on. Or threats of war. There's wars around. Uh, during World War II, were we ready when we were attacked? No. We almost, when uh, at Pearl Harbor, by the grace of God, our aircraft carriers were not in... That's where the Japanese wanted to sink our aircraft. They just happened not to be there. Sank our battleships, but it became an air war in the Pacific. Preparation. Here we have this call to arms. It is almost as if Paul, the apostle, is blowing the trumpet. In Israel, in the, old, in the days of Moses, they were trained that they listened for the call of the trumpet if they were being attacked. And the trumpet would tell them where, east, west, north, or south, the attack was coming. And so the priest would blow the trumpet and warn, enemy is attacking. Well, in a sense, that's what this text is here. It is Paul blowing that trumpet, saying, beware. Be ready, prepare, be strong, beware, 
take up, put on, and stand. So that is the message this morning and the message that we'll be hearing for the, as we work through this passage. Uh, this is a time to beware. Uh, my wife and I, we were talking about this passage and, and all, it, both of us, it hit us at the same time. Uh, does God give homework? Yes, God gives homework. Thank you. God gives homework. Okay? Is there going to be attacks? That you, are you going to experience spiritual warfare? If you don't even know it now, or if you realize that you have been, there will be homework. I mean, here I'm trying to encourage you to come back next week and all. But beware. Be aware. We're under attack. You're under attack. The devil is here, attacking right now, wanting you to be distracted. Don't listen to what pastor has to say. Go focus on whatever it is you were doing this week uh, or whatever. No, no, no. You're under attack right now. You understand that? Dan, wasn't that one of the things you said after you became an elder is, wow, I didn't know all the spiritual warfare because you're a target. Welcome, Jeremy. Uh, I forgot to tell you about that part. So I, I have it written in the bulletin, main point. In this passage before us, the Apostle Paul sounds the alarm that we are in the midst of war. We face many adversaries. Do you know what the name Satan means? The name Satan is adversary. Do you know that? We face many Satans, many adversaries, including those whom we cannot see and are far smarter and stronger than we ever can imagine. It is critical for our survival that we develop an awareness of and constantly prepare for battle. You understand this? This is a call to arms. Beware, you are, there's no demilitarized zone, there's no Switzerland in this war. So, the context is grace. Remember we've said this book is a letter of grace, seated with Christ, isn't that what we said the first half of the book is? My position in Christ establishes me to be aware of what's going around. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, and yet my feet are on the ground here on earth, and so I'm called to walk with Jesus, who is seated in heavenly places, but yet promises to be with me wherever I go. And so we've been looking in chapters 4 and 5 at walking, and even 6, about walking with Jesus here on earth. And I love what the scripture says, that he is the captain of our salvation. Ever thought about Jesus as your captain? Captain of our salvation? He's the one who's gone before He's defeated the enemy. We are in the mopping up operation. Well, it's pretty messy. Can you think about the war in the Pacific and how they went? The U.S. was conquering various islands. But to conquer the island, there was a mopping up operation and many, many Marines died. We're at war. He is the captain of our salvation 
And he calls us to stand with him. In the warfare started in the Garden of Eden. Started there after the fall. God started a war. And that war continues until Christ returns. So first point, prepare, be aware, war is unavoidable. Again, God started the war. We are called to overcome the adversary, Satan and his seed. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve sinned and, uh, and aligned with Satan, God confronted Adam and Eve and said, What have you done to the woman? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall uh, go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put warfare, enmity, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, you shall bruise his heel." War began there at that moment, and it hasn't ended. Now, there is a war that continues, a war between the seeds. And so Paul writes, Finally, my my beloved brethren, my brethren, Become strong, be strong in the Lord and in the power or sovereignty of his might. And again, we read this morning, what did Joshua need to hear as he was standing on the edge of going in to conquer the land that God had promised? He needed to hear these same words, didn't he? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, after Joshua crosses the Jordan, guess what? Guess who he meets? He meets the captain of the Lord of hosts, doesn't he? With sword drawn. And he's told the battle is the Lord's. So he needed to hear that. Do we need to hear that? Can you be strong in your own strength? When it comes to fighting against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness, things you can't see, creatures that are far more powerful and smarter than you, can play you like a violin and has, been, has done so in the past. Have you? Are you aware of that? Be strong in the Lord. His ability. We read that in Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord, literally, they exchange their strength for his. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I can't, in my own strength, fight the war. Neither can you. Be strong in the Lord. Just like Gideon. Remember when Gideon was, uh, when the angel appeared to Gideon? Oh, mighty man of valor and... Gideon's like, uh, who are you talking about? I'm hiding over here. God is the one that was strong. And 
God said to, to Gideon, I will fight your battles. As a matter of fact, you have too many soldiers when he went out. The, you need to go send 10,000 away and ended up with 300 to fight this massive army because the battle is the Lord's. He can defeat with a few or with many. Think of Samson. The strength came from the Lord. David, Solomon, Hezekiah, all of these kings who were empowered by the Lord to gain great victories. We need to be aware of the grace of God, and it is the grace of God that enables us to overcome. So Paul does that. If you just want to look at a few verses, be strong in the Lord, look it back in chapter 1. Paul prays, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul is grabbing all the Greek words that talk about power and said that's the power that God has for us and gives to us. Be strong in that, in that power. Again, in chapter 3, in verse 16, he says it this way, that God would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, prayed for us, that we would be strengthened with might in the inner man. And again, like I said, Isaiah, we read those passages. Another one that I, I love this statement, it's in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. The people who, knew, who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Isn't that a great statement? The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Isn't that a passage you want to memorize and carry with you? Knowing God enables you to stand and fight, to be strong in the Lord. So Paul goes on to say, be strong in the Lord, have that ability that comes from God to stand, and put on the whole armor of God. Has he used this language of putting on, like putting on clothing before in his letter? Yeah, didn't he? Put on what? Put off the old man, put on the new man. Okay, now he's saying put on the armor. So you're clothed in the new man in Christ, and now you're called to put on the armor. Put on the whole armor of God. What is armor? What was the armor for? Why did the... And, and probably, remember... Paul is in prison right now, and he's chained next to soldiers. And so he looks over at the soldiers. What are they wearing? Armor. So he starts to describe, in one sense, the armor of a Roman soldier. The breastplate of righteousness, or I should say the loins girded about with true breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel peace. We'll look at all of that in the coming weeks. But... What is armor designed to do? It's designed to protect, right? Police officers, uh, do they wear bulletproof vests? Is that to hurt somebody? To protect themselves from being hurt. 
is a breastplate of righteousness like a bulletproof vest at the time. Yeah, they used swords, and it protected your chest for your heart from, from that. So the whole armor of God was designed to protect us. And also, some of the armor is actually uh, equipment to do the work of a soldier. The loins girded about with truth, where did you hang your sword? On the belt of truth. So you could draw the sword. You could have it available. So the armor was also there so that we could do God's calling. And notice the command. Not only be strong, but verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickery of the devil. So now we're in that, we've entered that third section. The purpose of the armor of God is to stand, to hold the field with our Lord Jesus Christ, to stand with Jesus. Called to walk with him, but we're also called to stand in him and with him in the warfare that we face. To stand, to hold the field. But notice what that said. Actually, four times it says that word stand. But notice, stand against what? Against the wiles of the devil. Hold the field against the trickery of the devil. And so my second point. First is prepare. Be strong in the Lord. Get, uh, look to him for the grace to be able to do what God has called you. And stand in the whole armor of God. As a matter of fact, in one sense, the whole armor is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to summarize. He is, our, he is the truth, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our righteousness. He is the gospel. He is the word of God, and on and on. He is. And so Paul will summarize it in another place. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So each of these pieces of armor, as we look at them, it's different aspects of Jesus. He is our captain. He is our armor. He is our strength. He is the victor. But we have to fight. You understand that? So the second is beware or be aware Verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, notice this, against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Beware. Who are we fighting? Who are you fighting? Are you aware that you are fighting? Are you? I remember one time I was sleeping and I woke up, it was three in the morning, and I was laying there and these thoughts came into my head. And one of the thoughts was, why don't you just go kill yourself? Where did that thought come from? That was bizarre. It, it was not connected with anything. And I realized, oh, there's somebody else in bed with me besides my wife. 
The devil's right there, whispering in my ear. Fiery dart. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that you're the enemy of your enemy? There is an enemy that hates you. If you belong to Jesus, you're his enemy. He hates Jesus, he hates you. And he doesn't sleep. Who are we fighting? Did Luther have that understanding of the open warfare? A mighty fortress, we're about to sing that. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. What's he talking about? Talking about warfare. And in it he speaks of concerning the warfare. Can you imagine what it was like to be Martin Luther? He was attacked. There's one time where he actually takes the inkwell and throws it at, across the room at the devil. Beware, who are we fighting? What kind of warfare are we fighting? The subtlety of the devil, the wiles of the devil, trickery, scheming craftiness. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Has any of you read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters? If you read that book, it's all about manipulating, attacking a Christian using subterfuge, trickery, all the different ways that the devil uses to overcome us. What is Satan's favorite tool? The wedge. Divide and conquer. Divide children from their parents. Youth, young people, is that a temptation to judge your parents, to hang out with your friends, to prefer your playmates to your parents? Do not listen to them. You know better. Husbands and wives, isn't that Satan's goal? Separate, divide and conquer? Church members, leaders, Employers, employees, his most effective tool. He's been using it for thousands of years. He knows what works. Divide and conquer. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that he's whispering in your ear things to think about that will divide you from somebody else, from someone you love? Are you aware of that? When your thoughts are going, do you realize that there are fiery darts coming at you? Or are you blindly ignorant and, and getting upset and everything else because, well, that person really doesn't like me. Well, there's also somebody else in the room. Beware. In many ways, we are, for those of you that like chess, there's a few of you that are really good chess players here. Life is like a chess game with the devil. But you can't see him. You don't see his moves. What does chess, to win in chess, you have to have a strategy. You have to have intelligence. You have to look for weaknesses. You use surprise. All of these things in a game, doesn't it? Or with wrestling. Pick on you with wrestling, right? 
there is a strategy, right? You have to be, or, or you name the kind of game. I won't call it, I don't want to call the battle that we're facing a game, but it is in that sense. The devil plays for keeps, and he knows how to win. He's been winning for thousands of years. But he's also been losing at the cross and beyond. Jesus gave him that head crushing. He's in the throes of death, but he's still about. And we must be aware. There is a, those that have power. Notice what Paul says when he talks about Jesus. He talks about his authority in chapter 1, verse 21. He says um, he works in Christ, verse 20. Uh, when he raised him from the dead, seated him in the right hand uh, in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, which is, but also which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So Jesus has authority over all enemies. He has won but yet they still have power. And so Paul will say, and, and we looked at that in chapter 4, verse 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. What is he saying there? Don't let the devil win. Don't give him space. Don't allow him to drive the wedge between you and someone else. Don't give place. Don't give in. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And part of that is awareness of his strategy, his intelligence, that he's attacking, that he uses surprise, and on and on. Be aware. We're at war. If you don't like what I'm saying, tough. Tough. It's the truth. Beware or fall. Beware or fall. My third point. Take up or put on that whole armor of God and stand. That's the goal. You are called to trust in Christ and in the power of his might and to take up his armor. Ultimately, Christ himself, again, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and makes no provision for the flesh. So don't give place to the devil and don't let the flesh rule. What, is, what does Paul say in Galatians? The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to, we, to one another so that we don't do what we should. So we are to put on the spirit. Take up the whole armor. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and stand against God's enemies and their strategies. Christ has already won the victory at the cross. We need to remember that. Okay? When you are overcome, when you are weary, when you are uh, confused, remember Christ has won. The head was crushed. God, Christ dealt with Satan a head crushing, a mortal blow. Okay? It is finished. 
Not only is the debt paid, but it is finished. I won. We're still dealing with the, with the outworking of that in this life. To glorify God. Christ has already won the victory. We are called to press forward. Jesus himself says, the gates of hell, anybody can quote the rest of it, the gates of hell shall not prevail against, what? The church. What are gates in that time? Were they offensive or defensive? Gates were defensive. The gates of hell, hell's on the defensive will not prevail from the onslaught of the church breaking through the gates of hell. Do you see that? Jesus said the church wins. The church, the devil and the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you hear that? Who's on the offense? We are. It's hard to think that when we're being attacked. Press forward. Be aware. Christ has won, is winning, and will win in the end. Notice also, stand in the evil day. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, stand. Do you think that's important? You said it four times. Is it important? Yes. Stand your ground. We are in the days of evil. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. He's already mentioned this. There's a short time left compared to eternity. Yeah, it's been 2,000 years since Christ, uh, since Christ left and he's coming back. By the grace of God, he hasn't returned before then, otherwise you and I wouldn't be here, right? But he delayed grace, but it's a short time when you compare that to eternity. With etern in eternity waits the victors. And so these are evil days, days of warfare. They are unavoidable. Uh, Paul writes it this way. Our momentary light affliction cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory. Isn't that an amazing statement? Well, I don't know about you, uh, God. My afflictions don't seem momentary, and they don't seem very light. But in relations to eternity, the weight of glory. You want to read a good book, read C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory. He talks about that. We can't even begin to comprehend what it's going to be like in eternity with Jesus. The momentary light afflictions cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory in Christ. And so to summarize if I were to say one word, if I were to ask you later, what is the sermon about in one word, it would be? Anybody pick it up? One word, command, one word. Stand. 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 
stand. He says it four times. It's important to him. We are seated in Christ. We are walking with Christ. And now we are called to stand in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we do know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. At the same point in time, we know that the warfare is greater than we can. We, can, we can't do it in ourselves. We are outmatched by the wiles of the devil. And yet you are greater. So we pray that you would enable us. Give us that strength that you command. Be strong in the Lord. You said it to Joshua and you called us to do the same. Help us to stand in Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God. Be aware. Prepare, be aware, and stand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do commit to you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands, and pray that you would grant wisdom for the proper management of these tools for your kingdom. We also pray that you would enable us to manage uh, rightly the gifts you've given to us, the resources, whether it be time, our abilities, our um, finances, or relationships, or whatever it is you've given under our hand. Uh, enable us, as your word says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so we ask that you would enable us to glorify you as we have been called to be managers of your resources. And so uh, we ask for your grace and help and provision to be able to serve you because that's why we're here, to serve you. We are your servants. Yes, we are redeemed. Yes, we are your children, but we're also called to serve you. And so we pray that you would enable us to do so. And part of that enabling is the ability to uh, overcome with sickness. We do pray for those who are not here because of sickness. We pray for those who are wrestling with various afflictions that are listed in the bulletin and others that are not. We look to you as a great physician. And so we ask that you would provide for us uh, health and the ability to live and move and have our being. We know that that is your providence. And so we do ask as you say to. And so we also pray for others that are struggling. We think of uh, Ethel in particular, and we ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing in her life. Uh, 
that she would be restored to health uh, and that she would, uh, her walk with you be restored as well, strengthened with might in the inner man. We do lift up to you, Ginger, as we have recently heard that there is uh, difficulties that she's facing with lung disease, uh, chronic lung disease. Uh, we do pray that you would grant the doctors wisdom for the right amount of oxygen and the right medication. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have caused her, granted her life, continued life here in service here. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, for your blessing upon her and upon the, the brothers and sisters there in Montana who are loving her and, sh- and serving her as well as she's serving them. We do pray for our brothers and sisters there in Manhattan, Montana. Uh, we do pray for Pastor Ori from South Africa, who desires, who's been called and desires to come and serve as pastor. Uh, we do pray that you'd work in the hearts of those in the State Department uh, to allow for him to legally enter the United States and to serve that congregation there. We pray for protection for him and his family and traveling mercies for them as well. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for provision uh, for churches that are without pastors, and we pray for those uh, that are still empty, empty pulpits, and we pray that you'd raise up men uh, for, those, uh, for those churches. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, David uh, being raised up and serving in Willows. We thank you for Matthew Dawn, who is now serving in um, Garner, Iowa. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for Kevin Pulliam, who is now serving in Minot. We thank you, Lord, for Paul Henderson, who is pulpit supply there in Grace Reformed Church of uh, Mitchell, South Dakota. We do pray that you would uh, provide a permanent pastor in that situation. We do pray, again, for the mission work in um, Idaho. We thank you, Lord, for the faithful brethren, our brothers and sisters, fellow members uh, there in Weezer. Give them wisdom concerning whether to stay in Weezer or whether to move to Fruitland. Uh, for uh, a more effective outreach, and we do pray that you would raise up a pastor for them and that you would move on the hearts of the Home Missions Committee to establish them as a mission work. Uh, we lay before you these, and uh, we think of the warfare as, it's, as we've been talking about. Uh, we do pray for grace and strength to stand firm for Christ amid growing hostility toward those who proclaim and apply biblical truth to themselves and those they love, and so we pray for that. And we pray these things, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And if you will, please uh, turn with me. Actually, we didn't do uh, A Mighty Fortress. We're doing Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, 542. I guess that does fit. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. 542. Please stand.
does the sermon call us to do? Stand up. Stand for Jesus. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Do we need his blessing and benediction to stand? Yes, we do. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.